0: Hey all! Welcome to Eat, Drink, Social. My name is Michael Moller, and throughout this podcast series, you'll be hearing from myself and the Go Social team. Go Social is a PR and social media marketing firm with offices in both Denver, Colorado, and Louisville, Kentucky. We'll be discussing social media trends and influencer best practices in the food and beverage landscape. And if you have any questions and want to reach out, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can visit our website at www.goforthbesocial.com happy to be joined now by jackie dodd mallory aka the beeriness jackie appreciate you coming on today you are a um, you're an established not just instagrammer but also recipe author you have three different uh, cookbooks out there Uh, but your whole um, world kind of revolves around beer as well is that right
1: it does, yeah, beer and food. It's I had somebody ask me the other day, like, what do you do when you're not doing work stuff? And I'm like, I don't have the same stuff. I mean, it's like drink beer and eat food so it's the line between like my personal hobbies and my work life is kinda of blurry.
0: Yeah, exactly. And actually, um, one quote I found on, uh, I believe it was your website. Um, I started com as a way to marry my love of food and good craft beer. It was my offering in a way to the craft beer scene. I thought that was a really sweet way to, to tie in your personal life and your professional life together.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, I knew I was never going to brew beer. The world does not need more mediocre beer. <laughs> so I thought, you know, what else do I have to offer to this world of beer that is not, you know, another person trying to start a brewery?
0: Well then, so what made you start doing things with beer other than just drinking it?
1: Well, I, I was, my degree is actually in psychology and I used to be a social worker for gang members in South Central Los Angeles. So clearly the next step is alcoholic beverages. Of course. Um, so I, and I was just in this place where I was like, okay, I, this is good work, but I'm getting really, really burnt out and I know I can't do this for the rest of my life. Um, and so I, I just got to this place where I was like, okay, well, what if I'm going to blow up my whole entire life, what do I want to do? What are the things that I'm really passionate about? And I just thought, you know, if I can sort of forge this career and make this happen when it, you know, that is marrying my love of, of photography and beer and writing and food, how do all of these things on this Venn diagram, how do all these things merge? And I just started doing it, I started taking pictures of beer and writing and developing recipes. And about six months later, I got my first book deal. Wow. So it turns out beer and food's not a hard sell.
0: So. <laughs> no, never. Um, what, what came first, the, uh, the writing or the photography?
1: Uh, I, it's hard. It's really hard to say. I mean, I think I've always been interested in both. Um, I was not a great student when I was a kid. I just didn't really care very much. And I just, I had a hard time getting, good grades because I just wasn't I just didn't care at all and um, I was actually I had my freshman um, creative writing teacher accused me of plagiarism <laughs> and brought my mom in and was like there's no way she could have done this like kind of implying well she's not that good of a student and my mom read through it and was like no this whole story that she wrote this whole like two chapter like story that she wrote was actually based on a dream that my mom had had and so my mom knew it wasn't plagiarized And so the teacher's like, there's just no way that she could have written this. This is just too good. And my mom's like, well, she actually tries. She's actually good at stuff. (laughs) So I think that, I mean, I've always been interested in writing. And then, you know, photography was kind of always in there. And it's, you know, I I still like film cameras. I still really, really kind of geek out on film cameras. Um, And, you know, I started cooking when I was pretty young also. So I don't really know which one came first. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously beer came last. Because I wasn't really, you know, into craft beer when I was nine.
0: Yeah, that, that that's fair. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it wasn't 2020 at the time. Uh, now all the yeah. kids are into craft beer. <laughs> uh, exactly. Speaking of photography, though, you might have uh, a domain name that is just pure money. And that is craftbeerphotography.com. Craftbeer.com. Yeah. That is good. And
1: I bought it a long time ago. And it was kind of when I knew I wanted to kind of make my niche in the craft beer photography space and I was kind of surprised that it was still available and I think it's because I bought it I I went through this phase like maybe like six or seven years ago like domain hoarding and (laughs) I would just buy all these domains and you know because it's like ten dollars per year so it's like it's ten dollars for me to figure out if I want to use it and that was one of the ones I bought and ended up using.
0: It's also a way to uh potentially turn that investment around if somebody else wants to.
1: Yeah, I've never done that. Like, if somebody <laughs> asked me for something, like, I had I, I had, I can't remember what it was, but I bought a domain and, like, a nonprofit wanted it. And I'm like, oh, sure, here you go. Oh, that's nice. So, yeah, I, I'm just not, I, I don't know. Do I couldn't you, do that. If somebody else wants it, I'm like, I don't know. While,
0: while we're on the topic, that. do people just, you know, random people, so you're, you're in Seattle. Uh, do random mm-hmm. people from, like, Florida or just happen upon your website and say, hey, um, just happened to find you on Google can you come out here and do this project
1: yeah I've gone kind of all over the world I went to Copenhagen um to do stuff with Carlsberg nice um and I was really impressed actually and I think that it gets it has sort of this bad stigma sort of on the west coast you know those green bottles traveling halfway across the world and once you're there you kind of get it you get what they're doing and their history and you're, it's really impressive Um, and then I was in Brazil, uh, last year for a beer festival. And I was speaking at, um, a beer conference. Um, and yeah, you know, I've been to Panama and Bogota. Um, I, I've been to, you know, locally New York and Grand Rapids and, um, you know, it's, it's not a bad gig, honestly.
0: Yeah, I don't, I I don't think so. Um, so let's get back to your, your craft, your, your, your trade Mm -hmm. of sorts. So. You you start making food and it, with beer rather you start making food with beer uh-huh. and you're getting really good at it. What mistakes did you learn about those recipes along the way, or another or another way to put it, what's kind of the biggest mistake that people sometimes make when cooking with beer?
1: I think a a lot of people think that the beers are interchangeable and sometimes they are, but sometimes they aren't. Like, I think one of the biggest mistakes I see people make sort of universally who are new to cooking and maybe new to cooking with beer is they try to make like a beer bread with an IPA Mm. and they're like, holy shit, it tasted like beer. And I'm like, yeah, that's, those are intense flavors when there's not a lot else to kind of balance it. And they're, you know, when you're making beer bread, you use like a whole, like 12 ounce bottle of beer. And it is an intense flavor if you use the wrong beer. Um, and then, you know, people will be like so surprised that they were trying to make like uh, biscuits and they used the stout and then their biscuits turned out brown. And I'm like, well, that's huh. pretty dark beer, dude. Um, and I think it, you know, I went through a lot of those mistakes too in the beginning, just not understanding what happens to hops once they're cooked. You know, mm-hmm. if you have this really, great, bright, bright, floral, dry hopped beer, and then you reduce it down, it's not going to taste anything like it did. You basically just put it back in the boil. It's not dry hopped anymore. Um, and so I think anything really hoppy is going to be a little bit trickier to cook with. Um, but then stouts are kind of like these like trusty old men, bass player backbones of the beer cooking world because they're just always reliable and they always kind of give you what you want, but you don't get like a huge, intense flavor
0: usually from them. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, really the first and only time I've ever cooked with beer rather baked with beer is beer bread. And mm-hmm. I remember the first time I was just like, oh, let me just try it out with an IPA this time. And it didn't really work <laughs> out.
1: You're like, holy shit, that's better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but just, just in terms of versatile- Well, you're not
1: alone in that mistake, so don't worry. To- totally. <laughs> a lot of people make that mistake.
0: Yep. Yeah, now I just use, m- you know, multi-based beers uh, yeah. and stouts and everything like that. Um, so so that being said, just with the versa- like a versatile beer style you know, if you, if you had to choose one that's just good across all, like all different types of, uh, foods and desserts, would you, is there one?
1: Um, I mean, if, if it'd be hard to pick one, but I would pick something like a brown ale or a bison that doesn't have a ton of pop profile, but still has flavor to it. Um, because and there, it's more universal. Like you could, you could brine a turkey or you could make a cake or, you know, you could make a nice caramel sauce. It's, it, I think the maltier the beer is, the easier it is to cook with and the more universal it is.
0: Mm-hmm. What's, so. what's the difference between cooking with beer versus wine?
1: Um, it, well, I think that one of the biggest differences between beer and wine sort of ninja and I'm an equal opportunity drinker. I will drink anything. Mm-hmm. Um, well not anything, but you know, it's not, <laughs> I'm not a beer only person. And honestly, I think there are very few beer only people. Um the the biggest difference I think in the advantage that beer has is that there are so many more ingredients. I mean, essentially wine is one ingredient. I mean you have grapes. Um and then with beer, anything that you can cook with, anything that is edible, there's a brewer that's figured out how to put it in beer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the at the minimum you have four ingredients. So you have four times as many ingredients as you do with wine and the flavor spectrum is so much bigger. And you also have, um, you know, this really nice carbonation that, you know, some wines obviously have. But most, if you're talking about cooking with wine, it's usually a red wine. Um, And so beer just has so much more to offer when it comes to cooking. And, you know, and I love I love wine. It's just I think that beer has it beat because of how much more it has to
0: offer. Yeah, I'm flipping through uh, Lush right now, your most recent uh, oh, uh, book, and awesome. the one that stood out to me both right now as we're talking, and then really the first time when I opened the book was kind of towards the back of it. It's the spice vega and, and porter cake, um, mm-hmm. and just imagining all those flavors to go in together. And I have not had the opportunity to make it yet. Maybe sometime this winter. Um, <laughs> but uh, just looking at it. All those different flavor profiles coming together with with the porter kind of bringing it all together as well. Uh-huh. Um, so speaking of books, uh, and you got your first book deal, can you tell me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, it it was I was so new to everything, but I really, really, really wanted to do a cooking with beer cookbook, and it was when I got you know the deal kind of complete and ready to go, and I got the green light. I had three months to give them a hundred brand new recipes plus all the introduction copy and photos. And I like almost died. I was like such a nightmare. Um, but I end up like, I still, I look back and it's kind of cringy. Like some of the things I say and some of the like pictures are terrible in my opinion. Um, but I'm still so proud of it. And I'm proud of the recipes and I'm proud that I was able to do it. And, I think that's just, you know, any kind of creative person, like as you go along your earlier work, you kind of wish you could go back and redo in a way, even though you're still proud of it. Um, And then from there I did Beer Bites um, and I did that sort of in this very difficult transitional part of my life. Um, And then Lush was the most recent and it was the one I was able to take the most time on. Um, It's the, you know, I'm not, obviously I'm not vegetarian. I put bacon on desserts but I really love vegetarian cooking and I really love produce and I really love seasonal cooking. And I get really, really excited when, you know, apricots come back in season or, um, you know, cherries come back. I live in the Pacific Northwest and so cherry season is a big deal here. So I wanted to do a book that sort of went with the seasonal cooking and then beer is hyper seasonal. Anybody totally. who kind of loves beer, like you get really excited when fresh hot beer comes out or, you know, when like right now I'm starting to get, I get a lot of press mailers. I'm starting to get, even though it's still early, I'm starting to get like spring and summer beers and, um, it's exciting. And so kind of marrying those two things, I thought, you know, this would be really great to do a vegetarian cookbook because there are so many vegetarians and craft beer and beer is essentially, you know, plant-based, um, in general, obviously there's exceptions, but um, it, and I was able to take a full year to, to make lush and I'm really proud of how it came out.
0: Yeah. I mean, I love it. It's, it's simple, just enough to say that, all right, it is, uh, February, it's the winter. Let me see what winter recipes are here. I know. Um, and
1: winter is is a great time for beer, but it's a hard time for plants. There's not, there's not a lot that you just get in winter. Um, and I am i it's funny. It's one of those seasons where the beer I think is more exciting than the produce, but then you flip it like summer produce is so exciting and you have so much. And then the beer is sort of, you're back to kind of cleaner styles of beer and you know, some IPAs, but you really want like a lower, like a session IPA because you're going to be outside all day. Um, so it kind of is flipped a little. So what, no matter what the season is, there's something to get excited about.
0: Truly, truly. So speaking of the season, uh, let's talk about mm-hmm. Valentine's day real fast. Um, if I were to pair, you know, chocolate and, and beer, what what would that look like? Would it depend on the chocolate? I guess.
1: Yeah, it would definitely depend on the chocolate, and I think you have to be sort of aware of what it is, um, what it is that you want. Um, if you really like bitter flavors, um, then you what you're really gonna want to like be aware of is your you know, how bitter your chocolate is and how bitter your beer is. And there are times when those things go really, really well together, but there are times when, you know, you can balance it a little bit with like a sweeter, like a Belgian, or, you know, uh, you know, you can do like a milk chocolate with like a really intense stout that has a lot of those dry, more bitter notes to it. Um, but also, also it's really fun to do things like, you know, chocolate and peanut butter. Like how does that go with a stout versus, you know, a quad or something like that. Um, And then if they're a Seattle chocolate company and they have this um, chili white chocolate bar, and I'm not usually a huge fan of white chocolate, but it's sort of infused with these chilies and it goes really well with an IPA. So I think that no beer is off limits when it comes to pairing with chocolate and, you know, no chocolate is off limits. There's always something that can pair well. And I think it's fun to just get a bunch of beer and get a bunch of chocolate and just see which ones you like the most.
0: Totally. Uh, one of my favorite times of year is uh, around Halloween when all the breweries decide that they are pairing experts. And I know <laughs> the, the thing is they'll, they'll just grab a bunch of different candies and pair it a, uh, with a bunch of different beers and they have their own recommendations, but yeah. you know, you just do it yourself and you figure out. Yeah, what I mean, works sometimes I be just
1: I'll repair and be like, you know what? This goes way better with this <laughs> because I think a lot of times people like they just are kind of guessing and that's where pairing comes from is like, it's just somebody's best guess. Um, but there is a book that I was able to do the photography for that um, is called beer pairing. And it's by Gwen Connolly and Julia Hurst, who works for the brewers association and Gwen Connolly has worked for flying sure. dog and um, lost Abby and like a ton of their, are women that have these absolutely fantastic palettes. And they like literally wrote the book on beer pairing and it's all, it's like, way nerdier than even the nerdiest person wants to get or it can be something that can be a really general there's also a lot of really good kind of general knowledge but if for anybody who's interested in it I think that's kind of the gold standard for beer pairing books
0: oh I love it awesome um so speaking of which like yeah who who, who are you the people that you look up to in the, in the food and beverage industry
1: uh, I think well I think Garrett Oliver is probably yeah. one of my absolute favorite beer people of all time and he you know he I'm sure you know Owens Brooklyn Brewing, mm-hmm. and he wrote The Beer Master's Table. He wrote The Oxford Commanding to Beer. He's he's kind of this guy who can do anything. He's really, really smart. He He's really good at, you know, he's really good writer. He's a fantastic brewer. He's obviously a fantastic businessman. Um, and he's one of these people that, like, the handful of times I've met him, like, he just feels important. Like, even if you didn't know who he was, you're like, that guy's important. I don't know why, but I can tell. And, you know, I think, people that have been around a long time like i had i was really really like i had a a thing for anthony bourdain for i mean i still do i have like an autograph cookbook from him but not just cooking because his his recipes were never like groundbreaking he was always really good at like the classics but i loved his sort of hunter thompson style writing um And so people that like really old school people that have been around a long time that have kind of forged these paths and there's a beer writer named Michael Jackson who was, um, yeah, like the very first beer writer ever, like he sort of invented beer writing. And I think people like that, that have kind of been around like way before me, way before you know, any of this stuff was going on that were like true, like trailblazers that, you know, now it's easy to be like, I'm going to open a brewery, but (laughs) the people that were doing it in the eighties, I mean, they were using like repurposed dairy equipment. Like nobody thought it would work. They're like, what are you doing? What are you, this beer tastes weird. And, um, you know, it's just, it's really inspiring for me to see these people that sort of against all odds Sort of forged a trail for themselves.
0: Yeah, I went. I went to Belgium about a year ago, I guess. And uh, uh, you know, yeah. I, I I had so many resources available to me about where to go, what to drink, who has what beer, and and, and, and all like the, and all that. But then started talking to some older beer friends, and they all did the same trip at one point earlier in their lives. But mm-hmm. they were just like, yeah, all I had to go off of was uh, the Michael Jackson book. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: and, and especially like back, like over every beer in America is new compared to what you have over there. Like Vice and stuff, their beer, their brewery license, like they originally opened in 1050. 1050. Yeah. Like that doesn't even sound like a year. That's how long they've been open. And so there, and you know, over when I was in Copenhagen for um, Carlsberg. They had found this bottle of beer that was 133 years old and they were trying to rebrew it because they were able to open it up and get viable brewer's yeast, which was this really fantastic project. Um, But like 133 years was just one of their bottles of beer. And so when you go over there, it's kind of seeing these yeast strains that are like a thousand years old. Um, It's really kind of puts in perspective, like what we're doing over here is so new in comparison, even the oldest breweries.
0: Oh, totally yeah i mean there are what two in, in indigenous beer styles in america the kentucky common and, and the california common i guess too but um mm-hmm. yeah it's just it's it's just so new um yeah but moving over to the, the the social media sides uh side of things um who who tends to follow you more on social kind of foodies or beer people
1: i i think it's it's people who kind of have an interest in both it's It's pretty, like, male and female. It's pretty split 50-50. But I think that it's people who kind of either are really into beer but interested in cooking or really into cooking but interested in beer. I think it's sort of this, you know, Venn diagram overlap of those two things. Um, I have a lot of people who are vegetarian that follow me, which I feel kind of, like, every time I post a non-vegetarian recipe, I feel like I need to, like, apologize. Like, no, I have a a vegetarian one coming up soon. Um, But yeah, it's, you know, it's fun to kind of see what people respond to.
0: And who, who do you like to follow?
1: I follow a lot of, a lot of food people, you know, a lot of people that either I've met through food or that I'm, you know, that I'm really impressed by, you know, chefs from all over the world. And then, you know, breweries, I think it's mostly like chefs and breweries are kind of like my entire feed. So. Uh,
0: I, I get that. My, my beer accounts just beer pictures and food pictures. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so there, there is, you know, changes in Instagram all the time. Uh, but I also feel like especially so much in in the last year six months or so, um, do you, are you seeing engagement decrease on your end?
1: Yeah. I, I, and I always like, this is just how I am. I always feel like it's my fault. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? (laughs) And then other people are like, no, my engagement's down too. And I'm like, okay, but I, I still feel like it's me. Like I'm doing something wrong. Um, I, I, I don't really know. Like, I, I think that when it does go down, I just try something different. And, like, maybe people aren't liking what I'm doing, and so I'll just try something else. Um, and, I, you know, I know it's gone down overall. And I think the thing Instagram was talking about taking away likes. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I think is a big misstep with that is that there are so many inauthentic accounts where, you know, the, pers- the followers are bought or whatever. And the way you can tell is people's engagement. You know, yeah. if somebody has 50,000 followers and they only have a hundred likes on their, fo- on their photos, like either their yeah. audience is not engaged or they bought their followers. Yeah. So if you see an account where it's like, you know, they have, they have 20,000 followers, but they have like seven, eight, 900 likes on each picture. They're doing either, they're doing something right. And people are really engaged. All their followers are authentic. Um, so I think if they do end up taking that away, it's sort of like, well, what's the point? I think that it will, you know, demotivate a lot of people that are really interested in engaging and having an engaged audience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I can, I can see that. Um, I I would say just as long as the analytics and the stats are available to the person that posted it, Mm -hmm. I, I could go the other way. Um, as long as those analytics are available, but I can see your, your point of view as well. Um do you have any thoughts on TikTok? That's You know, that's I don't really. Do, I mean,
1: I'm on TikTok, but I feel like I'm too old. I think unless you're like 14, like everyone and I know people who are on TikTok, I just I don't know. I I will watch it sometimes like I have TikTok, but I've never posted anything. Um and like all my nieces and nephews are on it, and I just I don't know how to do it well enough. I know there are some food people on it that are really excited about it, but I just I'm not there. I also don't think that, you know, there's a ton of beer drinking audience yeah. on it. I think it's more of a younger crowd, which is obviously not something that I can target. Yeah. I mean, it would be really bad if I was targeting like 14-year-olds.
0: <laughs> yeah, kids, this is how you make beer bread.
1: <laughs> Someday.
0: <laughs> Just get, your, me in get your parents to buy it while. for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so actually, what, what I, I meant to ask this earlier, okay. but again kind of just flipping through lush here is this is this your photography as well in the cookbooks all of it
1: yeah i even i took all of them even the picture of myself just because i ran out of time and i hate having my picture taken so i was like (laughs) crap i need a picture because they're email they're emailing me and they're like this is your last chance like we need an author photo today oh man so yeah i mean the only good thing that came out of it is every single photo in the book is mine
0: so do you have any recommendations for people that want to up their beer photography game
1: Yeah, I, you know, it is, it is something that can be completely overwhelming. Like if you buy a DSLR for the first time, there's so many settings and there's so much to know. And I would say, just take it one thing at a time. I think the most important things about photography are composition and lighting. And those are things that you can start practicing with your phone. You don't need a fancy camera. And sort of when you get to a point where you feel comfortable with those things, then if you have a DSLR, like start with one of the settings, like start with aperture and get kind of a good feeling for what that is. And then and then move on to shutter speed and ISO and all those other things. But, you know, I think just, just kind of what I did when I was getting into it is I would look through photography that I really liked and try to figure out why I liked it. What was it about it that I liked and how could I sort of recreate that? And, you know, how did the photographer get that shot? and kind of going through it that way. And each photo that I liked, I would think, okay, well, I like it. This is why, but this is what I would change for next time. So just, just keep going. I think
0: I like that. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I've had my DSLR for a while. I'm still, I feel like I'm still learning everything about it. It's cause it's not really a, a skill that I went. Usually I'll like deep dive into a, a hobby and I just haven't really had the chance to do that with photography yet. But, um, I feel like i'm always playing around with all three different settings at once so i, I do like the approach mm-hmm. of just focusing on aperture or iso at first yeah so i i haven't it's been this, London, I, I haven't been i've been to a fair amount of places but i haven't been to the pacific northwest yet uh so i have not been to seattle so with that it's all
1: a great beer town
0: yeah, exactly really so that's is. that's my question what what breweries do i need to hit up if i if i have a day in Seattle. Where do I go?
1: A day in Seattle. I've actually written this article before. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it changes. It changes a lot. I think that I have my favorites because I I want to fall in love with the people and the beer. Totally. Yep. And so when I meet a brewery that I really, really love, like I want to love the people. And if I don't, I can't love the beer as much. Um, There's a brewery called Metier that I really like and it's in Woodville and it's the first African-American owned brewery in Washington State. And they're um, the owners are like Starbucks execs and like they they really care about kind of giving back to the community. And so their beer is fantastic. But also there's always a lot of like charity stuff going on. Um, Cloudburst is also a big favorite. It was uh, one of the head brewers from Elysian. When the buyout happened, he went and started Cloudburst. And it's the beer is fantastic. Um, Holy Mountain is also oh, really, yeah. really great. There's a, a brewery um, that is north of Seattle called Gardens Path. And they are really interesting because every single thing it's Skagit County, which is like middle of nowhere, kind of everything is kind of sourced from like right in their sort of neighborhood. And they even like, they spent a year like cultivating yeast to find these yeast strains that they really liked. And so everything, it's like super hyper local. Um, but w- the thing with Seattle is they're, they're really like hyper, um, like style specialized like it'll be a brewery that just does like imperial ipas or one that just does um barrel aged beers or whatever and it's kind of interesting there's a brewery called floodlands and the, the crazy thing about it is it's like kind of like beer nazi-ish like you have to be on this mailing list and once you get on the mailing list only one person in your house can be on the And then you have the opportunity to buy one of their beers if you go to this specific location. You can only buy one, and each bottle costs, like, $200. Uh, It's crazy. It's, like, it's crazy. Um, But people kind of freak out over it. So it is fun that there there are so many people in the Pacific Northwest that are really, really into beer and breweries. And, you know, there's so many here. And it's so great to be able to kind of go around and... um, and with you know because everybody's kind of interested in it so it's a good place to be for beer
0: yeah and, and to your point um i don't believe people actually like quality as much as they say they do and, and what i mean by that is that people would much rather have a setting that they're comfortable in and owners that they can befriend and you know just good memories around a place and, and when they have all those things, the quality of the product, whether it be beer or bourbon or, or food or, or anything, that takes a backseat.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think I agree with you. I, I think that it might not necessarily be that they don't care about quality. I think that a lot of people just they don't have a really, really well-developed palate. And so their palate is strongly influenced by their experience. Yes. Um, and then also by like nostalgia, like there's always that that beer i'm not even going to say what it is but there's a beer here that people have been having since like the 90s and when i tried it i'm like this is not a good beer (laughs) but everybody kind of grew up drinking it and so they have this sort of nostalgic love for it um but there are other like there's a there's a brewery called um georgetown brewing that i totally love and it's kind of the convergence of those like it is sort of quintessential seattle that they only just started bottling and canning. They were just sort of draft only until like a couple years ago, but their beer is so good. And it's also nostalgic. Like this is a, a beer that people kind of grew up having and it's really great beer. And so when people come in town, I tell them now that's one of the, the beers that they have to seek out is uh, beers from Georgetown because it's really hard to get outside Seattle and it's really great. And now that they have it in cans, you can take it off.
0: <laughs> Perfect. So. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but, um, what's, what's next for you? Do you have any other books coming out any other I do don't projects? right now?
1: But I feel like as soon as I get done with a book, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm never doing that again. And then six months later, I'm like, you know what I could totally do. <laughs> so I'm in that phase of like, I haven't done a dessert beer cookbook yet. So I don't know, like who at this point, who knows? But I, I also have a feeling of, you know, if as long as somebody is willing to like, let me publish a book with them, then I'll do it.
0: So I like it. Jackie, thank you so much for joining today. Appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Absolutely. Take care. All right, everybody. That wraps up today's episode of Eat, Drink, Social. Thanks for listening. If you have a story to share or maybe you know somebody that does, feel free to reach out to us.